0: Our Gospel lesson is taken from the 10th chapter of John's Gospel. We read there from the 11th verse to the 18th. Listen for the word of God to us today. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this story is just awash in metaphor, isn't it? Wolves, hired hands, the good shepherd? You know how metaphor works. Jesus isn't literally talking about wolves or hired hands, and and we know that Jesus, frankly, was a carpenter by trade, not a shepherd. What's more, we're in the middle of a parable. Jesus uses story, just like metaphor, to make his point. So why don't we spend some time with those metaphors? Now I'm not a lupine expert, but I know that, dogs, that wolves aren't just big dogs in need of rehab. However much DNA the two species share, wolves and dogs are different animals and they should be expected to behave like what they are. Whereas a dog one tries to pet, might behave unpredictably in a human encounter. Wolves' behavior can easily be predicted, and it is not to snuggle with humans. Upon meeting a wolf, I would not recommend asking if she wants tummy rubbies. When behavior is predictable, it is unwise to expect it to be otherwise. Oh, we need wolves in our ecosystems, but we aren't going to pet them. We know what to expect from a wolf. The term hired hand certainly does sound elitist in our era, but let's take it the way Jesus meant it. Now, I I know an excellent carpenter. He has done first-rate work on our house. His his, his handicraft is beautiful. He is a hard worker. But he doesn't do it because he loves our house. It's not a favor to us. He expects to be paid, as well he should. So we know what the wolves are. And we know what they can be expected to do. We know who the hired hands are. And we understand that people generally work for pay. But that third metaphor, there's a little something more going on there, isn't it? Let's come back to that metaphor in a minute. Jesus is giving us a metaphor for a life of faith, so let's explore it. What are the wolves? Based upon actual wolves, it seems to me that metaphorical wolves could be expected to be predatory and indeed life-threatening. And I realize this is not a feel-good approach to preaching this text, but there is no doubt that in the life of faith, we will encounter forces that are life-threatening and destructive, and indeed even predatory, and there's no question that some among us are more familiar with this reality than others are. I began wondering this week what folks might identify as the wolves in a life of faith, so I asked a few friends, and their answers were insightful. Here's one from a young man I mentored when I was an associate pastor and he was in a youth group. He wrote The wolves in the church today are people who aren't willing to stand up for the Prince of Peace. People that unwittingly support perpetual war and tyranny at home and abroad while hiding behind the gospel in an attempt to absolve themselves. A seminary classmate of mine said, theologically uneducated or discriminatory pastors who make holy forms of oppression. A clergy colleague of mine wrote, those who pine for the past to repeat itself. I have to confess, I was expecting something more akin to yellow fangs and eyes, but There's no question all of these are absolutely destructive and life-threatening in a life of faith. So let's take that as our lesson regarding the wolves. We know what they will do. Their nature is to be predators, to kill and eat. To expect anything other than that from a wolf is to set yourself up to be eaten. It's true in a life of faith as well. There absolutely are forces that would devour us and against which we must be on guard. So are there any wolves prowling around in your spiritual life? It's worth thinking about. You know, Jesus assumed we would face wolves in our spiritual lives. Jesus assumed there would be forces that we might encounter that would harm us. It seems inevitable that we will encounter self serving powers. It's important to recognize them for what they are and not to confuse them with something that is harmless. There is a difference between a predator and a poodle. Knowing the difference makes the difference between life and death. What about the hired hands? They serve a different purpose in this metaphor. The wolves are predators. But hired hands in this story just don't do anything worthwhile. Just as Jesus seemed to expect that wolves would behave like wolves, he expected exactly the same of the hired hands, that the dedication simply isn't there. They won't give of themselves. They don't have any skin in the game. Sure, they'll do the job under good circumstances for agreed-upon wages, but don't expect much when the wolf is on the prowl. Jesus is saying when you need protection, support, defense, and help, a hired hand is going to run away. And Jesus is, of course, warning us about those who are in it for themselves, purely and simply. When there is a threat to themselves, they will run away. We can predict their behavior as well. Just as the wolves can be expected to engage in wolf-like behavior, so too the hired hands in our lives can be expected to do what is in their self-interest. They are, after all, only doing what is expected. No more, no less. No less. And what does that suggest to us about those who would influence our spiritual lives? I read somewhere recently that friends come into our lives for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. It's a great observation about how we relate to one another. But when it comes to the matters that are deeply important, the things that we might even call life and death, when it comes to a life of faith, We should strive for the latter, for deeper, enduring relationships. Indeed, in the lives of others, we must strive to be the latter. Because Christian faith assumes that we will at least try to be Christ-like. That's the deal. When Jesus says come and follow me he expects us to emulate him to the best of our abilities and even beyond our abilities in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we must be forewarned if we are capable of following the good shepherd of emulating the good shepherd we are equally capable then of sliding into following the wolves and the hired hands and behaving like them. But the good shepherd Well, he knows the sheep. He is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. That's pretty much it, because we know that the good shepherd did indeed lay down his life for the sheep. Shepherd imagery, shepherd metaphors, abound in the Bible. We're not an agrarian culture anymore, so I don't expect that we pick up all the cues of the text when that is the case. But I think, by and large, we do get the point. There is a reason why the 23rd Psalm remains the best-known and best-loved psalm. Indeed, one of the best-known and best-loved passages of the entire Bible. I have a, a strong suspicion that I could walk into any group in this church, and if one of us got it started, we could collectively finish the recitation of that psalm from our memory. Uh, There's a better than average chance, particularly for a few of us, that we would do it in King James English. Every one of us probably wouldn't know every word. We might invert a verse here or there. And the recitation would probably be a continuous crescendo and decrescendo until we reach the end. As some know all the words but not others. And some in community carried us through the, the recitation of it. But you know, I really do think we would get through it, wouldn't we? You know the words. That's who God is. In the midst of a world full of wolves and hirelings, Jesus came as the Good Shepherd. Some folks like to say that Jesus used the shepherd language because sheep are not the most intelligent animals in the barnyard, but they tend to wander around aimlessly. And he wanted to hammer home the point metaphorically that uh, at times we don't know sheep droppings from Shinola when it comes to our own good. And it's true, sheep do have their limitations, and at times their limitations even look like our own, but that's not what Jesus is driving at here. You see, I believe Jesus has higher expectations for us. Jesus chooses this metaphor not to put us down, but in order that we might know who he is, and by extension, who God is. And who is God? God is the Holy One whose chosen reason for being is caring for what out of the overflowing of love God has made. Who is God? The Holy One who knows us by name, which means there aren't any strangers to God. No one is unrecognized. No one is dispensable. Who is God? The one who makes all things and restores all things. The one who walks with us when we are in death's shadow. Who is God? The one who sees our racism and our bigotry and still spreads out a table before us. Who is God? The one who rubs lotion. You know, that's really what anointing is. It's it's rubbing lotion. Who is the God, the one who rubs lotion on the dried cracking feet of of exhausted refugees, and offers an overflowing cup to those who bear the heat of the day in labor and are thirsty. And the psalmist says, if you follow this God, goodness and mercy will follow you. Jesus knows we are going to encounter wolves and hired hands. He seems to know that there are folks who are going to get caught in the claws of predators and that there are folks who are going to be failed by those whom they have trusted to help them. He knows that when death's dark pall falls over us that we need to know that we are known by name and that no one goes unrecognized. Jesus was, after all, in the words of Scripture, a man acquainted with suffering, who understood that from time to time we will all be acquainted with suffering. No, this isn't an accidental metaphor that Jesus chooses. He reaches back into the faith of his family and his community and pulled up an image that he knew would tell us all we needed to know about who God is so that we can face the ravenous wolves and the feckless hired hands. There's a reason why Jesus chose the image of the Good Shepherd. There's a reason why Psalm 23 is best known and best loved. There is a reason why we recite it when we are afraid and in times of mourning. It is because we need to remember who God is and what God's promises are. We all need to remember this, to be reminded, to be grounded in the reality of who God is. You know what? Why don't we do that right now? Since we aren't together now, let's do this together. You say it along with me at home, in whatever fashion you know it, and don't worry if you don't know all the words. We'll get through it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.